Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Well, good morning, everyone. Who says we can't have fun at church, right? Amen. Um, please open your Bibles to Second Samuel. Second Samuel, chapter twenty-four, Old Testament, right before First Kings. The title of today's message is, That Which Costs Me Nothing. And just as a, uh, a little intro while you're turning in your Bibles to that passage, 2 Samuel 24, you know, we're in the heat of the baseball season, and for Mets and Yankees fans, it's not the greatest time this year. Didn't want to really bring that up, but... Uh, but there's a play in baseball called The Sacrifice. I don't know if you know about that play. So it can be a sacrifice bunt, it could be a sacrifice fly. Basically what the play does is it, uh, the, the batter actually gives himself up for the good of the team to advance a runner or to score a runner. So the batter is sacrificing his at-bat. You know, it could be... You know, he could get a hit, he could get a home run, but he decides that he's going to make that sacrifice for the good of the team. Keep that in mind as we go through these verses, this passage today. You know, sacrifice is something that we don't like to necessarily talk about that much. It's, it seems to hurt just to say the word, sacrifice. You know, when we think about the, the Bible in its entirety, the Old Testament certainly shows us the sacrificial system that God had established for the nation of Israel. And, and so we think about that and we see that there was, there's pain involved. There's, um, you know, it's, it's giving something up. So it's not something that we kind of uh, would, would necessarily want as part of our daily lives. But... As believers, God is asking us to sacrifice something for Him. And before we go on and think that, well, I need to sacrifice in order to be saved, that's not what, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that Jesus did it all. That He sacrificed so that we could have everlasting life and what then is our response? So this is kind of what we're going to look at. This chapter in Second in Samuel is one of the many chapters in the Bible that speak about King David's life. You know, King David, um, his, his name is actually mentioned over a thousand times in, in the Scriptures. Think about that. No other human being is mentioned as much as, as David. 
you know, and we can get a sense of David's life, of what David experienced as we read through the Psalms. We can see his, he pours his heart out. He, he prays to the Lord. We see the different emotions that, that David has. Uh, we see him being um, pursued by his enemies. You know, we see everything in David's life there poured out in the Psalms. I think of Psalm 51 where, you know, after his, probably his greatest sin that we, we know of, the one that recorded the sin with Bathsheba and the, the adultery and the murder that uh, resulted in that. And we see David pouring his heart out in Psalm 51. And in, in, cha- in verse 10, it's, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. So David here is praying for God to renew his heart. Because he knew that sin is when our heart is misaligned with God's heart. We're missing the mark. We're, we're off track. And that's what sin really is. God's will is sort of the bullseye And when we sin, we are outside of His will. We miss that mark. And we know that there's something wrong. We know that it's a heart thing. And David knew the same thing. So David's experiences aren't much different than our own. We search our own hearts, and we should. We realize that we've missed the mark in many ways. But as believers... And even as, as unbelievers, we go to the Lord and we ask for forgiveness. We, we repent, we turn, we, we seek His forgiveness. And when we receive Christ as our Savior, we, we understand more our need for Him to forgive. And that's a really important thing in people's lives. I, I think one of the things that might keep people from coming to the Lord is that many times we don't understand our need. We don't think that we have a need. And it's, it's important that we point out that there is a need in every, every person. There's a void. There's a, a, a void in our hearts. There's a void in our lives that only God can fill. And that's, that, that's the need. David has been called a man after God's own heart, right? So we think about it. So this sin of David that he confessed, you know, was, was his heart not being aligned with God's heart. And yet we call him a man after, God, after God's own heart. So it's important for us to know that, you know, it, you know, if we think of somebody or we think of a description of somebody that we would say is a man after God's own heart, right? Uh, we may uh, give them more credit than, than they're due. We may think that they're uh, somehow more perfect. Uh, we overestimate maybe their righteousness. But also what we might tend to do is underestimate God's mercy in that. Because none of us are perfect. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So you see, there's a, there's a sense that we are not worthy, and then there's a sense that God's mercy and forgiveness makes us worthy. Our worthiness comes from Him. It has to. So, I think about King, David's and we, we all, King David, and we always tend to kind of go towards that, that place in the Scriptures that tells about his, his big sin. But like King David, we wouldn't want to be sort of characterized by our worst moment, right? We wouldn't want that. But those who have accepted Jesus as the sacrifice for the payment of their sin, there's complete forgiveness, no matter what we've done. And that's an awesome thing. That's something that we, uh, we praise Him for. You know, as we, as we worship the Lord today, it was about what He's done, right? It wasn't about what we have done. It was about what He has done. Amen? So, we're going to concentrate toward the end of the message today on really what, what I wanted to talk about, which is that sacrifice. But we need to get a little context. So we're going to jump in in verse 1 of Second Samuel 24, where it says, Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and He moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel, and Judah. So, again, uh, so we see God's anger aroused again. <laughs> you know, we could think about it, we make that application to our own lives. You know, we seek God's forgiveness and we may go to Him and say, God, again, I've fallen in this way. You know, and you know, we seek His forgiveness in that. But notice what it says here, and I just want to clarify this before we go on too much further. It says, and he moved David against them to say, and the he is, in the New King James, the he is capitalized. Um, when he is, when, when it's capitalized, that means it's referring to God. But with a little bit of research, you can find out that most other versions don't have it capitalized. So there's a a little bit of the translators, which who were men, scholars, um, well-renowned, obviously, were um, trying to discern exactly what the meaning of this verse was. Um, in First Chronicles 21, it says in verse one, "Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel." So just as we see when God allowed Satan right to afflict Job, uh, although in a limited way, it seems that Satan here incited David to disobey God. And we can relate to that. You know, we know that the enemy will put those things in our path, will we'll put those things in front of us to pull us away from God, right? From, to, to, to draw us away. You know, but, but we, we can't, of course, be let off the hook with the old, you know, the devil made me do it excuse. You know, we have responsibility in that. We have responsibility. So ultimately, it's our choice, right? Whether we go down that road or not. So with the numbering of the nation, there's, 
it, in ancient times, there was a number of, there was a, a few different reasons why uh, they would want to number the people. And one of them would be to collect taxes. Now, you think, think the Bible is an old book that doesn't apply today? Well, things haven't changed much. Right? They number the people so that they can collect taxes. Another thing, another reason to number the people was to see how strong the military was at that time. You know, remember in ancient times, especially in, in, in Israel and the surrounding areas, nations would go to war against other nations. They would try to take over territory. And it seems like uh, Israel was always under attack of some kind. Uh, from their neighboring nations. And so, to number the people would sometimes be to number the military-aged men who would, be, who would go to war or who would defend the nation in the case of an attack. But it's interesting to note that any census or any counting of the people was supposed to be done only at God's command. So the king couldn't just decide, oh, I think I'm going to number the people. We need more taxes to come in. We are getting threatened by our neighbors. We need to make sure we have enough of, a, of an army to go against them. So it needed to come from God. But David here, in his own pride maybe, uh, you know, being the leader of, of the nation or um, just disobeying God completely, uh, wants to wants to number the people. See, what that does is, it, what? it puts the victory on the people and not on God. Remember that any victory we have is, uh, is God-given. comes from God. So we need to give Him the glory. So God was not pleased with David. And although we see repentance and remorse with David, he was, and he was convicted of this. He was convicted of this sin of numbering the people against God's will. But there needed to be consequences. There needed to be consequences for David's sin. See, God cannot deny himself. He's, he's merciful and he's gracious, but he's also, uh, he has to be true to his nature, true to his character. So, through the prophet, uh, David was given three choices for his punishment. Now, that's not bad, I guess, if you think about it. But none of them were very good. But, in verse 13 in 2 Samuel 24, it says, So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, seven, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Choice one. Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Choice two. Or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. So this was a prophet of God. So this, this guy Gad came to David and he gave him these options, these choices. And he said, okay, David, you, you tell me what you want me to tell God um, to, as your punishment. But I love David's response here. I love it. Because first thing he says is, well, it's a tough choice. And in verse 14 it says, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hands of the Lord 
for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hands of man. So two of the choices were for him to fall into the punishment of, of man. And David's response was, God's discipline is better than man's discipline. And that, isn't, that, isn't that true? Isn't that true? I'm, there's a, an image. Do you have that image, uh, Paul? I saw this on a t-shirt. Says, uh, says, I'm going to let God fix it because if I fix it, I'm going to jail. <clears throat> Isn't that true? Isn't that how we, like, we view, you know, let God fix it. I'll take God's judgment. We are wise to allow God to discipline us as opposed to man. God is always fair, right? Man, man will punish without limits. God... God's punishment always has a greater purpose. Isn't that great? Man's punishment, usually retaliation. There's really not always a good purpose. God's punishment is motivated by love. Now that sounds strange, but God's punishment, God's discipline is motivated by love. The Bible tells us that. Man's punishment is usually motivated by anger, right? God's punishment is meant to train us. Man's punishment is meant to tear us down. So we see, when given these choices, right, we'll take God's discipline any day over man's discipline. So David was wise in that. God's judgment always has restraints, has limits, right? So in verses 15 and 16, we kind of see what happened here. So, so David chose the plague. The three days of plague. So it says in verse 15 and 16, So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time. Notice the restraint on that. That, that, that little term, the appointed time, just shows that it's going to be limited. It's going to be limited. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. Now, this was a, this was a plague. This was, this, was not a, uh, this was not an easy thing. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. So the plague was limited in its time, limited in its scope, and the Lord Himself restrained the angel from totally destroying Jerusalem. And notice the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor. We're going to talk a little about a, a bit about the threshing floor. The threshing floor of Arana is the same as the threshing floor of Ornan in First. Chronicles. So it's the same guy. He's just known by two different names. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. I think you have an image of the threshing floor there to show. Yeah. So the threshing floor was this large, smooth, flat surface that was used in processing of grain back then. So but when you think of a threshing floor, you might think of like a lower level, uh, the bottom floor of, of an area. But actually, they were up high. They were built up 
high so that it would allow the wind to come through as they would thresh the grain. And they would either take the, the bundles of grain and then they would pound them on the threshing floor, a hard surface, um, usually made out of stone, or they would spread it out and they would allow the animals, oxen or, or others, or cattle, to come and they would kind of crush it underfoot. And then they would toss it up in the air, right? And the wind would come. And, you know, you know if, you, if you toss some light uh, weeds or something up in the air, some of it will blow away and some of it will fall to the ground. Well, the, the chaff, which is the kind of the, you know, unusable stuff, would blow away at the, in the wind, and the good stuff, the grain, will fall to, the, to this threshing floor. And then they would bundle it up, they would gather it up, and they would use it, you know, to make flour or whatever. So, that was the practical meaning of the threshing floor back then. It had practical purpose. But there's also a spiritual meaning. It has spiritual significance. Uh, many times in the Bible we see that. The threshing floor was a symbol of judgment. Now, if we think about it, so it's a separation. It's a place of kind of separation of the good stuff and the bad stuff, right? Or the, the good stuff and the bad stuff, right? It would be a separation, a place where, where good and evil, symbolically, spiritually, were separated. Matthew 3 tells us John the Baptist used this symbolism when he was proclaiming the, the coming of, of Jesus, the Messiah, right? He said in verse 11 and 12, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan, and that's what they called it when they would, when they would thresh the, uh, the grain, it would be called winnowing. So John the Baptist says his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So we get the picture. We get this spiritual significance here, that metaphor. So it's, a, it's kind of a sobering symbol of the separation of those who are saved and those who are not saved. Just as the farmer, right, would separate the wheat from the chaff and gather up the wheat to be used, Jesus will gather all those who receive Him into His kingdom, right, for all eternity. What a beautiful picture it is. But the chaff, those who reject God's plan of salvation through His Son Jesus, those who reject that will be burned up in unquenchable fire, not of any use to the kingdom. So we see God's grace, we see His mercy, we see His judgment, right? And we see that in, we know that in, in our lives. We know that before we received Christ as our Savior, we were under the judgment of God. We were like that chaff that would be blown away by the wind. But we received Christ, right? For those who, who have received Christ. And, and now we understand that 
He's the one who took that punishment. And now we're gathered up by Jesus. We're, we're part of the, the body of Christ. We're part of the kingdom of God. You know, I love what the Bible says. Um, that, you know, it's a, you know, we think of it, some people might say, oh, well, Christians are, uh, you know, very limited and intolerant. It's a, it's a wide net that God has spread. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female. It doesn't matter. Rich nor poor. All can come to Christ. And that's a beautiful thing too. So you may be in a place now or you were before where you would be blown away like the chaff, but you receive Christ, you, you make that choice to, to accept His sacrifice, and now you're, you're gathered in to his, to his kingdom. And so, David, we see this response, right, to, uh, to God's punishment, right? I'll take God's punishment over man's. And then the second response to God's discipline here was to make an offering to the Lord. Make an offering to the Lord. So, you know, again, we don't sacrifice to the Lord. We don't offer to the Lord to kind of gain His, um, you know, to have Him like us, to save us. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. But offerings were, you know, part of the sacrificial system back then in the Old Testament. And there's a spiritual application for us today as we're living under the New Covenant, right? You know, God instituted this sacrificial system as a way of maintaining or establishing or restoring that relationship between God and man. We don't relate to God in the same way today. Thank God we don't have that system Jesus Christ was that final sacrifice. There was no need for anything further. The book of Hebrews tells us that. Once for all, Jesus went to the cross. Amen? No need for that. But, as believers, as people uh, who have accepted Jesus, there is an offering to the Lord that... Uh, we should want to make to Him. In verse 18 and 19 of, uh, of this chapter, it goes on and it says, And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. So this guy Gad was kind of the intermediary, the prophet of God, giving David you know, the instructions, the, that which he received from the Lord. You know? And so David here is going to respond again, respond to the Lord in obedience. He understood his transgression, and that's kind of, again, one of the number one things that we need to do as people understand that We've transgressed God in some way, right? And, you know, we get saved and it doesn't mean we don't transgress God still. Uh, we don't become sinless, but the old saying goes, but we are hopefully sinning less each day as we, you know, understand what He's done for us and want to respond in, in Christ-like ways to those things 
in our life. So David responds with obedience. And, you know, the, the discipline of God on David here was, uh, was limited and it also was restorative. Restorative. So the, the purpose of God's discipline on David and many times on our lives is to restore that relationship back. How awesome is that? Because, because sin is separation from God, right? So our response then to the discipline of God is to be restored back into right relationship with Him. You know, unless and, and we think that uh, God disciplines us because He hates us, Proverbs 3.12 tells us, for whom the Lord loves, He corrects. For whom the Lord loves, He corrects. Just as the Father, the Son in whom He delights. You know, as parents, we correct our children if we're training them well, if we're bringing them up right. We correct them in order to put them back on the right path. God does the same thing with us. There's a greater purpose. There's a, there's a, there's a reason behind it. And, it. and to be restored back into that relationship with the Lord is, um, you, know, you know, David prayed, give me back the joy of my salvation. You know, in that same Psalm, Psalm 51. Restore back to me the joy, so that that restoration that we sometimes feel when we are back in right relationship with God, isn't that joyful? It should be. We should rejoice in that. So remember, God's correction is always better than man's correction because there's a purpose behind it, a greater purpose. So in verses 20 to 23, it says, Now Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So now this is, this is the owner of the uh, threshing floor of this, of this land, right? He's a farmer. So Arana went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Imagine uh, you know, the president of the United States coming with his entourage toward your, your home. And you know, uh, you'd want to give him the respect that he's, he's due regardless of your political affiliations. So Arana said, Why has the Lord my king come to his servant? You'd want to know, what are you doing here? I'm just a, I'm just a, a humble farmer. What is it, wh- who, why has the Lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Arana said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and yokes of the oxen for wood. And all these, O king, Arana has given to the king. And Arana said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. What a gracious guy this Arana was, right? What a respectful guy he was. You know, the king comes, the, you know, the, the, the leader of the land comes and, bring, and his entourage and they're coming towards his house and he's, you know, what can I do for the king? What can I do for the king to welcome him? And then he, then he gives him a request 
that he says, oh, I can, you know, I can do that. I can do that. But I'll, I'll just give it to him. I'll just give it to him. Notice David said, I came to buy the threshing floor from you. You know, this is like, uh, I guess a little bit like uh, eminent domain, right? Where the, where the government comes in and they say, we need, your, we need part of your land to build a road or a bridge or to, to widen the road and, um, you know, we'll, we'll give you fair market value for, for your land, which I'm not sure whether it always works out that way or not. But this is, this is kind of the, the thing. So David says, no, I, I, I don't want you. Don't give it to me. I'll buy it from you. You know, I don't know if, if, if we would have reacted the same way Irana would have reacted. We probably would have closed our blinds and locked the doors when we saw government the government coming, right? <laughs> but, but back then it was a little different, a little different. There was a, there was a respect, a reverence kind of. For, for the uh, for the leaders for the king. So David says, "I want to use your threshing floor to make a sacrifice to the Lord." This is this is my response. This is what I've been commanded to do because of my sin. As a response to what God has done, to make a sacrifice to the Lord and. Arana goes over the top. He not only agrees to give him the threshing floor, but he says, I'll give you all the provisions. I'll give you the, the oxen for the burnt sacrifice. I'll even give you the yoke of the oxen. You can make uh, you know, kindling out of it and set a fire and you can, you can burn the burnt offering. I'll give you the, the threshing floor and the implements so you could make the peace offering, which was usually a grain offering to the Lord. Yeah, I'll give it all to you. Everything. But in verse 24, notice what David says. And this is kind of our, this is where we're going to go today in the last few minutes here. Notice David's response. Then the king said to Arana, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. And then notice what he says. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. That's the title of our message today. That which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David says, I can't offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Think about that. Think about that. What kind of sacrifice would it be if David said, okay, Arana, I'll, I'll take all that stuff from you and I'll sacrifice to the Lord. Would it be David's sacrifice? It would be Arana's sacrifice if you think about it, right? One of the commentaries that I looked at said, had Arana's noble offer, and it was a noble offer, it was a gracious offer, had, had his noble offer been accepted, it would have been Arana's sacrifice, not David's. Nor would it have answered the end of turning away the displeasure of the Most High. So remember, David was commanded, this was his response, David was commanded to go and make an offering to the Lord to take away the plague that was on the land. 
So if Arana made that offering, if Arana gave all of the necessary supplies for that offering, it really wouldn't have been David's sacrifice. As we, as we try to make application on this today, and this, this verse has, has stuck in my mind for years now, I will not offer to the Lord something that which costs me nothing. What are we offering to the Lord? Now again, the context here. Not to gain His pleasure or to you know, gain salvation or anything like that. But think about what Jesus has done. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He bled so that we could be saved, so that we could have everlasting life. How is, what do we respond? How do we respond to that? So is our service to Him, is our offering to Him leftovers? Is it at, only at our convenience? I mean, these are the kinds of things that I think about when David said, I will not offer something which costs me nothing. It's been said that a sacrifice that costs nothing is worth nothing. A sacrifice that costs nothing is worth nothing. And again, I I need to make sure we're all on the same page here. God no longer requires a sacrifice. He doesn't expect a sacrifice, especially in the way that it was back then. 3,000 years ago. But he does expect a sacrifice of our heart. A sacrifice of our heart. How do I know that? Well, the Bible tells us. In Romans 12.1, Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's just kind of when, when, when it says, which is your reasonable service, it really means it's, it should be our kind of our, our default position with God. That should be what we want to do. Offer ourselves up to the Lord for what He's done for us. However, I, I, I think about it and I think often we don't offer... A, a sac- really a sacrifice to God. It's, it's common for people, whether it's you know, uh, giving monetarily or giving of time or whatever it is, to kind of offer their excess to God. You know, the Bible talks about offering first fruits to the Lord, right? You know, we, we've, there, there have been messages and there have been... Um, sermons about about tithing and we don't have we don't do that unless it comes up in the scripture as we're going through it but you know are you tithing out of your excess or are you tithing so that it's a a sacrifice a sacrifice remember the woman who gave the uh the two mites right she gave more than all of the rich people who gave their thousands because she gave out of her poverty, but they gave out of their abundance. There's a difference there. So it's not how much. Is, is, it, is it something that costs you something? I've always said, too, that serving, which is an offering to the Lord, 
So for, for all who serve, that's an offering to the Lord. But serving should be a sacrifice, but not a burden. A sacrifice, but not a burden. And let me explain. So a sacrifice is something you willingly do. You give up something, right, for the good of another or for, you know, for the benefit of you know, your local church or to, ultimately for the glory of God. Right? You're giving something up. When it becomes a burden, it's not something that the Lord places on you. It's something that you place on yourself. So, an offering to the Lord that's a sacrifice is a blessing to the Lord. It's glorifying to the Lord. And you understand that and, and it should be a blessing to you. An, an offering that's a burden is... is I think it means you need a heart check. You need a heart check. Why am, I, why am I doing this? What's the motivation behind it? We should be joyful about our offering to the Lord. Joyful about it. Excited about sacrificing our time or our, our energies for the kingdom. We should be excited about that. Excited about the fact that God is actually going to use us, right, to do His work. To do His work. We become joint co-laborers, the Bible says. Co-laborers with God. It's not, it's not as if He needs us, but He wants to use us. And that should be the motivation. That should be the motivation so to close up here, Second Samuel, um, the last verse, uh, verse 25 of this chapter. It says, And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So the king, King David here, willingly paid the price. He didn't do it for free. It cost him something willingly paid the price to lift the plague, to lift the curse from the people. He wasn't willing to have someone else do it. He had to do it. King David. We think about it, spiritually speaking, our King, King Jesus, our Messiah, has not just offered something which cost Him something, in order to lift the curse, right? To, to do away with the plague. He offered something which cost him everything. He offered himself. He offered his life. So why wouldn't our offering be sacrificial to the Lord? Why wouldn't we want to give sacrificially to the One who gave sacrificially for us? David gives us this picture where he says, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And we make practical application by saying, my offering to the Lord may hurt a little bit. It may be inconvenient at times. It may, be, it may make me readjust my priorities in life. But that means that it's a sacrifice. Right? It's a sacrifice. It must cost us something. 
But the picture also points to Jesus, David's descendant, who willingly went to the cross to give himself up to lift the plague that all men and women, all men and women live under, the plague of sin and death. And he willingly went to the cross to cast that off. Think about where Arana's threshing floor is. It's actually on Mount Moriah, which was the site, remember, where Abraham uh, took his son Isaac and was going to offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord. Remember what God did in that case? He, he, the angel held back Abraham's hand, right, from sacrificing his son Isaac. And what did he do? He gave him a substitute. There was a ram that he offered as a substitutionary sacrifice for that. What a beautiful picture of Jesus, our substitutionary sacrifice for the penalty of sin that we, we owe. We owe. We can't pay that. We can't pay that. It's too big a price. But Jesus did. And He's our substitute. Closing up in, in Hebrews, just a couple more verses. It says in Hebrews 10, verses 8-10, through 10, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. So, even though they were offered according to the law, because the, the law stated that there was a sacrificial system that they had to do, that's really not what God desired from the people. Then, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So the, the first, the old covenant was taken away and the new covenant has come in. The new covenant is the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace by which through Jesus Christ, it says in verse 10, by that we by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being that sacrifice, that substitutionary sacrifice for us. We don't have to do it, but we should want to respond to Him, right? With sacrificial offerings to the Lord Find out what your gifts are. Use them for His glory. If you have to rearrange your schedule and set things aside, you know, do it for the Lord. You can't outgive God, so you're going to find out. You're going to find out that what you give to Him is a, as much or more a blessing on you than it is on anyone else. You, you're going to find that out. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org. 
where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.